If you would, please take a Bible and turn it to the book of Acts chapter 9. If you didn't bring one, grab one around you or on one of the ledges around you. To the book of Acts chapter 9, we'll be picking up in verse 32. We'll be going through verses 43. Book of Acts chapter 9, verse 32. The Lord says to us in his word, Now as Peter went here and there, among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging, Please come with us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And when he gave her his hand and raised her up, then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord to us. From this passage, it is astounding here to see God's love for his people in such a way that we see God stopping at nothing to reach his people and reveal himself to his people. The Lord is seeking all of them, and in this case, he's seeking to wake them up, not just physically, but also to himself as the Lord. Here we see just after Saul's conversion, in response to the gospel, Luke, the author of this book, Acts, returns to the life of Peter here, where we last saw Peter a little bit, a couple chapters ago in Samaria. Now we, the, the writer zooms in on Peter once again as he's going from Jerusalem now to Lydda, and then later in this section to a town called Joppa off the coast. And Peter here is being led by God from Jerusalem and bringing with him the proclamation that we have seen, which has already saved thousands and thousands of lives. And in this case, he's bringing not only that with him, but also the power, as he's done before, to heal and revive people. Now, there are two circumstances or two occurrences that happen in this section. And so what I want you to see is that this is not just a random aside that Luke does in this portion of Acts. He's not just going from the cool guy Saul and then later Peter will do something really cool and or in Acts chapter 10, and then you've got this random circumstance here. But what I think what he's doing here in Acts chapter 9 is he's combining these two narratives or these two stories 
to show us something largely about who God is. There are things that make these two stories similar, not just in that one comes after the other, although that's obvious. Of course they're together. One comes after the other. But also they're combined in that he refers to the people here in these stories as saints. The persons healed are called out by name, so it kind of combines these two stories together. Or when Peter performs these healings in our text, he summons people using resurrection language, something that startles us, that piques our attention. So he's, he's keeping things together as he's telling these two narratives. But then lastly, both occurrences happen along the way for a larger and specific purpose, showing God's particular love for particular people, but also showing God's sovereignty over the entire situation. This text, I think, is organized cyclically. So instead of explaining it, you know, one passage and then the next passage, I'm going to kind of merge them and synthesize them and explain kind of what Peter is doing. So in this section of scripture, Acts 9 verses 32 through 43, I think we see a progression of Peter's miracles. So if you're following along on an outline or if you're a note taker, it would help you to see that the first part of this sermon, what I'm trying to do is show you that there's a progression of Peter's miracles as he's going on. This isn't new for what Peter's doing, so it's not this new revelation, but we can see that there's a pattern That's happening here in our story. There's a pattern of a problem showing up, a word going out from Peter, and then a reaction of the person who he's talking to. Nice to know that this person is listening. But then also there's this seemingly global reaction to Peter's word as he speaks the name of Christ. So within this progression of Peter's miracles, we first encounter in verse 32 a problem. As Peter's ministry carries out from Jerusalem. Look at verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. So the problem here is that this man has been paralyzed for eight years and bedridden for eight years. It could be on the occasion of a stroke or an accident that left him paralyzed. But either way, people are relying on this person whom they know as Peter, and they know that this is a powerful person, as well as a powerful preacher. They're they're calling out to them to help with this problem. In the same way, in verse 36, you'll look, that his itinerant preaching schedule brought him down to Joppa. Look at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. Then all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and the other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So in this second circumstance, we see that there is also a problem, but this problem seems to enlarge itself, at least in the way that Luke is presenting it to us in Acts. We have Tabitha, who is known by many people around her as one of the most charitable people they've ever encountered. We know that because when she passes, many of them gather around as people do when someone passes, like you honor and you show respect to that person's life by going to a funeral or a memorial service. But not only did they go and show up at this circumstance but also they were carrying with them things that this woman had made for them these widows who we know need to be cared for by other people are are carrying with them to this person's passing things that she had made for them 
things that she had provided. She, she was the one who might clothe them or offer them things that would help them keep going. We not only know this of her reputation being that of a normal charitable person, but she was amazingly cared for in that they not only washed her, which is a normal circumstance after someone passes away, you care for the body as we have respect for the body as it's made by God, but also they were anticipating something. They didn't just wash her and then bury her as would be normal. They washed her and carried her to an upper room and laid her there. Because they, they heard that Peter was not that far away. Peter, this powerful agent of God who had done miraculous things to people before, who had this amazing testimony into the courts of men, but also this passionate proclaimer of God himself. They, they knew that he was a little bit away and so they went for him so that something could happen with their loving friend Tabitha. They heard that he was there, so they called him to come to them quickly. So within this problem, we see that there is a man who is paralyzed and bedridden, but also there is a woman who's dead. And the pattern also shows that when Peter encounters these people, he speaks to them. So look at verse 34. Peter encounters the first person in the story who was bedridden, and Peter said to him, verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. Peter acknowledged Aeneas' healing and he calls or invokes Jesus' name and he tells this man to get up. But not only get up, but also to make his bed. No longer would this man who was bedridden need to rely on other people. Through the spoken word that Peter gave him, he was able to rise and now take care of himself. In the second circumstance, look at verse 40. And Peter put them all outside and knelt and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Invoking her Hebrewic name. The story of Peter's revival of Tabitha contains similarities to us. If we're familiar with the text of scripture at all, it might have similarities to what we find in 1 Kings, where Elijah rose someone or raised someone from the dead by a spoken word or later on in second kings elijah also did the same thing these echoes of the past are what we see here in acts 9 but it doesn't just sit there it actually gets even better as you might be maybe not familiar with the old testament maybe just the new testament where what peter is doing sounds an awful lot like matthew 5 where he's even using the same types of verbs As Jesus did when Jesus brought someone from dead to life. Get up, he said to them. This backwards taste of what's happening in the old shows itself in the person of Christ. And what we see just from that, the power of Christ is continuing to go through his people. But when his people are invoking his name and using his authority and power. These guys, these apostles, Peter here specifically is doing mighty works in the same way that God has already done these works. And this shouldn't surprise us about Peter himself. This isn't the first time that Peter healed someone, right? You think of Acts 5, just chapters before. Peter did this miraculous occurrence there. Or even chapters before that in Acts 3, Peter also there did something miraculous that apostles were able to do. But what isn't powerful here is that there was a problem or that Peter went in 
and just spoke the name of Christ to them. But what's powerful here is that the afflicted react. Look in verse 34. So back to the first circumstance. In the middle of verse 34, we continue. It says, and immediately he rose. Aeneas rose. The reaction of the Lord summoning people from his ailment. Look at verse 40 now. In the second chapter, with Tabitha, and she, Tabitha, opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and gave him and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. What we see here in this circumstance merged within these bookends of what we think were really powerful things are happening. We actually see in this circumstance a miraculous work of God actually taking place in different areas by the same apostle and in different people's lives. And it's amazing to just meditate on miracles. Maybe some of you have actually seen God miraculous miraculously work in someone's life or your life where someone has been healed where the revelation of God has been so prominent that someone has been summoned to himself or something that was lodged in your body like a tumor has vanished and nothing explains it you might have seen these miracles and these miracles are incredible to think about and meditate on how powerful and how awesome and how majestic God is in particular in people's lives. But the two stories don't stop at just the individual miracles. It wasn't just that Peter spoke and people reacted, but when Peter spoke, it was like this large reaction in the cities around them. Look at verse 35. It wasn't just Aeneas that woke up. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Or in verse 42, jump down a couple of verses. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. It's absolutely amazing what happens here. Peter, along his way, as he's preaching the gospel, is a known quantity at this point. It's not amazing that Peter was there doing something, but a paralyzed man who's been suffering for eight years and been bedridden is able to walk. Or a dead person who is laying there, lifeless, comes alive. One, a servant to so many people around here, is now alive back with her people. But Luke rests little time to show that in the, in the circumstance of this amazing moment, he, he rests little time to show that something bigger is happening in the story. He describes that through this, that through these miraculous occurrences, through these amazing miracles, that God is actually summoning many, many people to himself. There was something amazing happening on that day in Lydda and on that day in Joppa. And that something in the, is the Lord is stopping at nothing to bring people to himself. This is the pattern of God again and again and again in our scriptures, that the Lord over everything, who made everything, stops at nothing to make sure that his people are with him, that his people are brought into his refuge. Paralyzation doesn't stop the Lord. Death doesn't stop the Lord. Nature has never stopped the Lord because the Lord is over all of it. In God's kindness, he heals two people, but in God's mercy, he saves others through them seeing these miraculous events. It's amazing and humbling to see this take place. About a year ago, one of my friends from high school, her dad is a long-term, was a long-term heart, uh, heart doctor and heart surgeon. 
So for decades, he would help people with their heart ailments. And then all of a sudden, one Christmas season, he started feeling what he had been prescribing or describing to other people what was going on inside of them. And so after months and months of hoping for the heart to be healed, he now sat on a table waiting for a heart transplant. And the person who was going to do this heart transplant was one of his partners. After years, this person who they had worked together, now this person is now working on his friend and his wife in the moment, knowing that if this surgery doesn't go well, her husband is, is gone, though in paradise, is gone. But also the Lord could heal him. And what was amazing is that in, in the midst of their 30 plus year marriage, the, the way that she would talk to us, at least in the waiting room, is, man, life or death, we really hope that his partner actually comes to the Lord through this circumstance. If that means God healing my husband, we hope that he sees that God is a healer and miraculous and powerful. If my husband passes, we hope that he sees that my husband had never had any doubt of where he was going to be. You see this woman whose husband is laying there with his chest open and is waiting for a miracle. And her hope is that the Lord continues to bring people to himself. As much as we can meditate and think about and place ourselves in trying to understand God's amazing kindness through these miracles, what we actually see here is that these miracles are just a small taste of the ultimate miracle that God does in people's lives. The far greater miracle is that God saves people who were once very far away from them. And in fact, the scriptures say that they were completely separated from a holy God in their sin, yet in his love and kindness, he stops at nothing to save them. And he stops at nothing to save them, not, not just by living with them or hanging out with them or teaching them a good lesson, but that he actually remakes their hearts. He regenerates, the scriptures say. He makes new to where it, it seems like these people are born again. These dead people in their trespasses are born again. So we can look at things like a paralyzed man now able to walk, and that is a miracle, and that is incredible. But when you think about the Lord saving people from their deadness, far separation, actually, they will be inheritors of his kingship forever and ever. That is amazing. Or even, or even heightened it more, a dead person, the Lord reviving and having them come alive. That is incredible. But the spiritual state where you eternally are separate from God in your sins, you are now with him because of his grace and mercy. And the Lord there was offering this to those people in Lydda and Joppa. In the same way, friend, that if you are not a Christian, he offers it to you today. The Lord himself who offered these people eternal life because of what Jesus had done on the cross, paying, paying the debt that all of our sins demand, he offers that to you. In the same way, I, I would just implore you, I beg you, please turn from who you are in your separation of sinness and turn to the Lord. Just verses before this, you see a terrorizing man named Saul who was hunting Christians and was willing to stop at nothing to capture them. And God didn't just stop this man named Saul and protect his Christians. God also, on top of that, did the greater task, the ultimate task of not just knocking on the door of this angry bounty hunter, but conquering the heart of the sinner and then using the sinner to reach the ends of the earth through his witness and his proclamation this miracle that the lord did in saul's life is the miracle that happens in all of our lives when we turn from our sins and trust in god as our savior in the same way that these people were hoping that peter would heal them and save them from an ailment or a death 
We turn to God and that he saves us from our sins because of what his son Jesus did for us on the cross and overcame in the grave. Charles Spurgeon says that the greatest of all miracles is the salvation of the soul. And in our case, we see, we see two kinds of miracles happening, right? The body, the miracle of the body, but also the miracle of the soul. Where people filling towns saw what Peter did and there was something about that moment that they turned from their sins and towards Christ. The conversion of these people is they are turning from themselves and giving themselves over to God. In fact, the word that is used here actually means not just like shifting our arrangement, but a profound sense of trust and reliance. Profound sense of trust and reliance. That's what it means to convert from yourself. You are now trusting on God and in God because you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. In a couple of weeks, um, I, I believe we're all going to celebrate the 4th of July. It's a fun holiday. There are three kinds of people who celebrate the 4th of July. Those who just love to stand in awe as a sky fills up with fire and explosions. And it's fun to watch, right? Everything's going up in the air. Now you can orchestrate it with music. And you're just watching this. You're like, wow, that's cool. Everything's blowing up in front of me. The second kind of person are taking those things and actually try to blow each other up, right? They take Roman candles, they shoot them at each other, they try to throw an M60 at each other, blow up sand piles in the backyard. But then there's this third category of people, and it usually looks like children or myself, given the right time, where it actually freaks you out when things are exploding in front of you. And I I ask you to go to one of these 4th of July events and and look for someone who's clinging to someone else. It might be someone who's 3 or 30 or 300. And when those explosions happen, they are grabbing on to their mom's leg or their dad's leg. They're clinging to someone because there's something about the refuge and that they're holding on to. That person will keep them safe. That's what it means to rely on God as our Savior. That's what it means to rely on God as our Lord, is that we are physically, actively, spiritually clinging to him as the world explodes around us. As the world is failing around us, even in our sins, cause us to fail. We're clinging to him as our redemptive savior. These people saw Peter and God saw them as sinners. But then God saved them by revealing himself. And in this case, by revealing himself through miracles. Showing them an ultimate resurrection of what would happen in their souls. Paul promises us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the ultimate end that we're hoping for is the resurrection. You know, the ultimate resurrection where our bodies will meet our souls and we're finally and eternally with the Lord. And these healings are a glimmer of that. They're they're fully that. They're fully a healing, but they're also this sense of encouraging hope that these people say, yeah, but I'm now a part of something new. And it's through their conversion that that happens. So there's a pattern of of Peter's miracles that take place. You know, he's encountered a problem. He's speaking the word of God. He's, he's physically healing people. That person will react, but all around that, the pattern also shows that all people who saw that were brought to an understanding of who God is in the sense that they turned to the Lord and they begged for him to be their savior and he granted that as he will anyone. And so we see that there's a pattern in Peter's miracles, but also if we just zoom out a little bit on this text, we see that there is purpose in the apostles' miracles. So if you zoom out on your outline, you'll see there's a number two. And you're thinking, man, we've already covered everything. And we're already like 30 minutes in. Yep, 90-minute sermon. Here we go. 
Now, so point number two, if we just zoom out pretty quickly, what we see here is that there is purpose in what Peter is doing, not just in the sense that he is healing people. What he's doing is he's replicating who Christ is and what Christ did. Jesus, when he was on earth, had performed three types of miracles. He was healing people. He was casting out demons from people's lives. And he was overtaking, in miraculous ways, nature. You know, multiplying bread, multiplying fish, dividing the seas, walking on the water. These miracles over nature. And he gives to his apostles and their friends, their close allies. In Matthew 10, it says that he gives them two of these. It says, and he called his 12 and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So what we're seeing here is that these miracles are showcasing in the apostles' lives, in Peter's lives, these miracles are showcasing Jesus and what he said and what he did in people's lives. These miracles in part are to show God's kindness. You know, the Lord didn't have to heal this person who had bad legs, but he did. And he's kind and he's merciful. And that's just who Jesus is from the beginning to the end of scriptures. We see God as just a good and loving God, but also we see God as wanting to reveal himself in such a way that people come to him in faith and repentance and cling to him as their ultimate refuge. So he is giving these apostles the ability to perform these miracles so that they can replicate what he was able to do. You know, you think of things like Matthew 9, where Jesus says, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Peter here is basically doing the same thing, right? Or in Mark 5, little girl, I say to you, arise. Almost the same exact language that Jesus did, Peter is now doing here. Or in Luke 7, young man, I say to you, arise. Or in John 11, Lazarus, come out. By seeing these things, even the apostles, and when Jesus was here, even the apostles believed Jesus and believed in him at that moment while they were seeing these miraculous things unfold in their lives. So Jesus is like channeling this power and this authority to do these types of healings and to cast out these demons. They were able to not only say what Jesus said, but do what Jesus did. You think about how Jesus actually healed people. He healed them with a touch or with a word. The same way the apostles did. He healed them instantly. We see here immediately they were able to rise. Or third, that he healed them. Jesus healed them totally. Not partially healing him, but fully healing people who he wanted to. And he, Jesus was able to heal everyone that he wanted to. There was, there was no value that would empty. You know, if he had a bad day and it's like, well, I ran out of energy. I wasn't able to heal all the thousands that were able to come to me. That never was the case. Jesus could feel or heal anyone that he wanted to. And the apostles were also in the same way able to heal anyone that they encountered. We see that in Acts 5. And amazingly, he was able to heal organic diseases, things like legs that would not work, withered hands, blind eyes. And also the, ab the ability to heal and rise from the grave dead people. The apostles are able to replicate that. They were able to not only say with the same authority that Jesus was able to say, they were also to do with the same power that Jesus was able to do. And all of that was for one ultimate reason, one overarching reason, multiple reasons underneath it, but one overarching reason to show Jesus' power and authority over all of life. As Jesus was acting towards people, he was bringing glory to himself. 
And as Jesus gave these apostles the ability to do these amazing things, those people who saw the apostles do those works saw Jesus as the author of all of that, as the most powerful one over all of that. God's gospel is that sinners will be saved through his love by his substitutionary death and atonement, conquering sin and death forever. But this action, but this action actually is part of waking people up to who Jesus is. You know, for those of you who are in our youth ministry here, you may have heard or have been there on Thursday night when Tom was preaching from John 8. And Jesus was testifying to who he was. He was proclaiming that he himself is God, not just will be God, not just is God-like, but he himself is the very God. And in the same way, Jesus here is testifying to his godness, to his power, to his holiness and majesty as these apostles are doing this miraculous deeds. So, So don't miss out that they are replicating or almost mirroring back the glory of God over the universe in the same way that Jesus was just testifying to himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. And in some ways, in amazing ways, and in God's kindness, that, that power, that magnification of God's glory woke people up and summoned people to who the Lord was. We see, this, we see this happening in other circumstances. We see it in miracles and we're thankful for that. How many of us could testify of a friend who may have come to the Lord because they saw God doing something? If that's what God does, then I want to be on his side. We see it in other people where they just became a Christian. They came to the Lord because someone spoke the Bible to them. Someone proclaimed the good news of Christ to them. One of my, one of my friends from like 10 years ago, he became a Christian uh, when he was like 35 and he was in jail. And someone handed him a gospel track and he read Romans. Right there, just the proclaimed word and the same power of these miracles. Or maybe it's the broken, you know, guiltiness or the guilty conscience that God gives people to where they they realize and they rationalize and they go through the logic they go you know what I'm just not actually a good person and I need someone to renew me or it's the love and community that we can give to each other how many of us can testify to someone else saying you know I came to a saving knowledge of the Lord because someone acted like Jesus to me they invited me into their home they didn't judge me by what I look like or what job I had. They just wanted to be my friend. And, and over time, I realized that their friend was Jesus, and I wanted that friend more than anything. And, and the Lord revealed himself through that way. In the same power, these miracles illuminated through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit, illuminated the souls where these people saw what God was doing, and they put themselves in the encampment of that Lord. So the purpose here of the apostles' miracles is to glorify the Lord. And God uses these apostles and these miracles to bring, to bring credit and honor and glory to himself. It's amazing to think of the, these two circumstances. If you just look at them, you go, man, Acts 9, 32-43, that is an awesome text because people are healed. Yeah, it, not only is it awesome because people are healed, people are healed and more people are brought to an understanding of who God is. All of these people came to a saving salvation. And the Lord stopped at nothing to save them. He overcame so much, not just in his own life and what he did, but also through these miracles in people's lives. So there is pattern in in Peter's miracles that reveals so much about God's glory and God's power. But there's also a purpose in these apostles' 
miracles and that they reveal much of God. And in fact, the whole point of them is to reveal God himself to these people. But then if we zoom out even just a little bit more, so zoom out a little bit more of this text, what we actually see on top of all of this is we see a pathway of God's grace in people's lives. So you may read through this and go, that's awesome, that's cool. Get me to chapter 10. Chapter 9 is really long. I really want to get to chapter 10. What we do is we see that there's amazement when we zoom in on this, but also there's this pathway of God's grace when we zoom outside of it. Look at verse 43. And Peter here, he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This word Joppa, this town Joppa might ring a bell with you if you're familiar with the Old Testament. If you think of Jonah chapter 1. Where did Jonah go when he was trying to run away from the Lord? Well, he started in Joppa, and he wanted to flee the Lord's commandments. And here you have this, this vessel, this instrument of God, who God was bringing to Joppa so that God could use this man in Joppa and then later elsewhere so that all of these people could come to a saving knowledge of who God is. So what God is doing here, this pathway of God's grace, what we see here is that God is revealing himself bit by bit by placing people in place so that his ultimate glory can have its ultimate end. There's this book that was written thousands of years ago called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. This book is basically a primer on how wars are to be won or, or how commanders are supposed to act when they're faced with an enemy. In the middle of this book, you've, you've got kind of nine steps that an army should take if they really want to take over somewhere else. You know, it's, you start with spies in the beginning and you come with spies in the end. The last one that I love the most is you just set everything on fire. But in the middle of all of that, you start putting people in the place bit by bit, maybe a cavalry over here, or you might have an air attack. Or maybe you go through the water, but there are these nine things with the ultimate end of absolute taking over of whatever you're trying to go after. And what God is doing here in our text, in, in Acts, in its entirety, is setting people up bit by bit so that he overtakes sin and Satan and despair bit by bit, and he reaches the ends of the earth. And what he's doing with Peter here, it might just seem like Peter's having a great day and he's being himself, but what God is doing in the midst of him healing people and doing amazing work, he's setting up this movement to where it's about to go global. It's about to reach the end of the earth through the Gentiles, through, through what many people believe for centuries were unable to ever understand God is, and God is about to reveal himself to them in a miraculous way. What we see here is God's sovereignty using his vessels, his people to take over every sense of evil and despair that is in front of them by offering this suffering servant who was on the cross, by offering the Savior who was offered for them and giving them eternal life. The message here through all of this, this pathway of grace, is that God is going to the ends of the earth because God cannot be stopped when he wants to reach people and love people. A doorway will not stop him. A border on a country will not stop him. Even people who seemed unclean or not good enough will not stop God when he wants to love people. You think of Peter here, he's staying with a tanner. A tanner is someone who tans, right? Very good. He's staying with a tanner for, for years and years and centuries and centuries. In a millennia, these kinds of people were thought unworthy to be even around a Jewish person. And Peter doesn't just stay with him like, well, it was a stormy night I've got an early flight, and so, I mean, I kind of just sleep on your porch. I know I'm not supposed to be around you. He stays with them for days. What do you think they talked about? 
We don't know. But what does Peter always talk about? The love of Christ that it will stop at nothing when he wants his own people. So what we see here is this pathway of grace when we zoom out and we see God at work in everyone's lives. In this case, God is stopping at nothing even to the point of using Peter and miracles to reveal himself to people and bring people to himself in salvation. Later on you'll read that because Peter is in this place, Cornelius, a man up north, in Acts chapter 10, knows and is given a vision from God that Peter is in this place, Joppa, and so he sends people down and brings Peter up. God is continually placing people for his ultimate purpose. He's bringing people to himself by using Peter's miraculous works and the other works of the apostles, but more than anything, just walk away with knowing that through this, through things like this, There's circumstances like miracles, proclamations, people coming to the Lord. It just gives us a greater, more full, not only appreciation, but trust in the will of God. When we pray that the Lord's will be done, when we entrust that the Lord will take care of what he desires to take care of or who he will ultimately speak to, we think of circumstances like this where the Lord's love had nothing in front of it that would stop him from loving his people. And so it just creates this sense of care in all of us for the Lord's will to be done. We can trust it with joy. The Lord stops at nothing to see his people being brought to himself. And in this case, he stops at nothing even through the sense of a paralyzed man or a dead woman. His love is so great for his people that it causes his people to turn on a dime towards him. And we hopefully are just living testimonies of God regenerating us, setting us onto a path where he is ultimately bringing more and more people to ourselves. The greatness of God is at show here. The the words that we're going to be singing in a song in just a moment talks about how great God is. And what I love about this song is you can't A, sing it quietly, or B, sing it without a little bit of choking up in the throat. We see time and time again where God is great, where he is powerful, where he is holy, and his love stops at nothing to bring people to himself and his glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning in just pure joy and thankfulness that you save us in the same way that you saved people in Lydda and in Joppa. You heal our hearts in the same way that you healed Aeneas physically, in the same way that you healed Tabitha. You make us new. You give us life, Lord. Father, we praise you. And may we have lives filled by you that bring credit and honor and glory to you forever and ever. God, we say this and pray this in the power and in the name of Jesus. Amen.